The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. And while you're turning there, I'd like to read another scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. And I remind you that when Jesus and the apostles preached, they preached the gospel out of the Old Testament. The apostle Paul quoted these words in Romans chapter 10 from Isaiah. The prophet said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. How beautiful are the feet of those that speak the gospel of salvation to those that are lost and are dying in sin. You know, the Bible has a lot of good things to say about a preacher who will tell other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has good things to say about a preacher or a pastor who will stand before his congregation and tell them the truth, even when they don't like to hear the truth. The Bible has good things to say about a a preacher that will warn others about the peril of sin, that will talk to them about the punishment of hell, and will tell them about the danger of listening to those who preach a false gospel and would keep people headed towards this awful place of destruction that the Bible speaks of. But on the other hand, the Bible does not have such good words to say about false teachers. Peter said that they teach damnable heresies. He said that they are brute beasts that are made to be destroyed, taken and destroyed. He said that they are wells without water, which aren't very good for refreshment, but very good for falling in and breaking your neck. He said that they're servants of corruption. So Peter had nothing good to say about those who don't speak the truth. Likewise, Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus, had nothing good to say about them. He said they're filthy dreamers. And that's kind of an interesting comparison, when you, interesting comment, when you think about so many today that claim that they get their information through visions and through dreams. Jude said that they, like Peter, he said they're like brute beasts. He said they're clouds without water, which... I think means that they look like they could dump boatloads of truth on you, but like a cloud that has no rain, they just drift on by and they're not good for anyone. And he said the blackness of darkness is reserved for them forever. John called them Antichrist. And Paul said that they're grievous wolves. Now you're starting to get the picture here that none of these men had anything nice to say. They had no patience for those who would tell people lies and keep them, as I said, on the path of that destruction in hell. Well, we look at this and we think about Peter and Jude and and about Paul, about John, and we say, where did they learn to speak in such scathing words? Where, Where did they actually learn to talk like that about other preachers that claim that they're preaching the gospel? Why weren't they more tolerant of other preachers? And why didn't they join up with the ministerial association? And why didn't they just lock arms with everybody and sing Kumbaya? 
Well, I can tell you where they learned to speak this way. They learned this from Jesus. They learned it from listening to him hour after hour in settings like we find right here in Matthew chapter 23. Now, today, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures at one time. You see, we have several verses that we're to consider, and I'm not going to read all of those right now. But I want you to get the tenor or or the attitude that Christ has in this passage towards those who teach things that aren't true. If you look at verse number 13, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And in verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There are eight times in this passage that Jesus said, Woe. Now, you you might think that once or twice was enough But Jesus gave these false teachers a thorough shellacking. Eight times, eight woes, eight expressions of disgust about what they were doing and their evil hypocrisy to people that they were claiming that they were teaching the Word of God. Now we're going to look at this passage over the next three weeks and I want to discuss these woes that Jesus pronounced on false teachers and the warnings for people that follow them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Then we're going to take a look at something here in the passage today. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to come together. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak through your word today. Teach us what you'd have us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin today, we need to get our bearings as to where we are in these scriptures. Back in the 21st chapter, it was Sunday of the last day of last week of Jesus' life. And he entered into Jerusalem to the cheers of the people, but Jesus knew that very soon that those cheers would die out, that they would go away, because he knew precisely what he was going to do over these next few days. This was the last opportunity that he had to speak to the people, uh, because after this he would, would take his disciples aside and he would begin to preach to them. But as I said, he knew that the cheers of entering into Jerusalem would very soon be turned into jeers, Jesus went into the temple, and there he turned over the tables, and in a very symbolic way, he showed what was about to happen to the nation of Israel and how they were so far away from God. And he offended the leaders that were in the temple so much with that action that immediately they set upon to try to uh, discredit him, try to destroy him, and to get rid of him. They challenged his authority to speak in the temple, They said, who do you think you are to come in here and preach to us like this? We have not authorized you to come into this place and preach like this. And rather than put him into a bind, Jesus put them in a bind as he pitted them or put them between that great prophet John the Baptist and the people because John the Baptist had declared him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then he goaded them with parables that demonstrated their claims of righteousness were bogus, that they were not really friends of God. They weren't friends of righteousness, but they were enemies of all things that were holy, and they had not obeyed God. 
And they tried to trap him by asking him questions that they thought that he couldn't answer. But he always had the answers. Every time he answered their questions with ease and he showed such uncommon wisdom through those answers that they were just simply afraid to ask him any more questions. So every answer that he gave helped him rather than hurt him. Well, there was a lot of activity that was going on back and forth until we get through to the end of chapter 22. And now it's Tuesday afternoon, and what Jesus does is he turns his attention to the people. Thousands of them had gathered there for Passover, and he began to warn them about the lies and the hypocrisy of their religious leaders. There, beginning in chapter 23... Uh, this was the last time Jesus would address the people. He was going to take his disciples aside and give them last instructions before he went to the cross. And in the first part of this chapter, he told them about their leader's false claims of authority. And he told them about their foolish pride and about the danger of a false sense of self-worth. And he told them about their leader's desire for recognition and how that they were everything that true men of God were not to be. That they were boastful, they weren't humble. They were, they were hypocrites and they weren't holy. And you really have to understand what this was like when Jesus entered into the temple and began to speak this way because this would be like someone coming into Berean Baptist Church And standing up and challenging me in front of the church and and just saying all kinds of things about me, some of the worst things that you could think of, it was like someone coming into my church in front of my people and reading me the riot act. And you can't imagine how shocking that that was. Now, I hope that all of you think well of me, that you have confidence in me. I don't think that you'd be here today if you thought that I was lying to you and if I was trying to bilk money out of you and I pretended to love you and to love God when I really didn't. And this is what it was like when Jesus went into the temple to preach. And in the end, this wasn't very well received by anybody because here came Jesus preaching and criticizing And he'd never graduated from any of their schools. He had no degrees. He had no titles. He was unrecognized as an authority over anyone. And he just came into the temple and he started tearing in to these religious leaders that these people had held up in high esteem and thought that they were the very men of God. Now, I I mean that these people really thought that if there's two people that are going to heaven, one of them's a Pharisee. It has to be. It has to be the Pharisees. They're going to heaven. And so they had the utmost confidence in this religious leader. They thought they were being told the truth. And what Jesus had to say put a very bad taste in their mouths. And nobody said when he was done, you know, I think he's right. I think we need to make some changes here. Nobody said that. And so when he was through with the people... He turned his attention to their leaders. Now, he wasn't going to say anything behind anyone's back that he was afraid to say to their faces. And so here we see, beginning in verse 13, that he looked those same leaders in the eye and he addressed them directly. And now he gets real serious and very specific about their hypocrisy. Now, he didn't want to be ambiguous. He didn't want to leave anybody in the dark still wondering what this might be all about. And so he began to point out the character and the actual sins of these leaders. 
Now let me just, just back up a bit. Because the leaders, or the people rather, did really think that these people were all about God. These are the teachers of the law. I mean, these are men who have spent their lives in the scriptures, very meticulously copying them. That's what the scribes did. And the Pharisees, studying the scriptures day by day, they spent their lives doing this. I talked with someone the other day, and this person asked me about some of the TV preachers. And I warned her about them, and she said, Oh, oh, but they've been teaching the Bible for years. This one has been teaching Scripture for 30 years, and the other one, he's very prosperous. And I, and I said to her, Well, that's just 30 years of lies and hypocrisy. It's 30 years of telling, not telling the truth, and, and wealth, prosperity, that's no indicator that you tell the truth. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees had been at this for many years, and the people thought, these men really have a zeal for the truth. And they did. They loved to study the Bible. They weren't short on zeal. The Apostle Paul said, that's the way that I was. I studied the Scriptures too. I knew what the Scriptures said. I was a Pharisee. I had plenty of zeal. But he says, the zeal that I had was without knowledge. And I think that's what we face in many churches today. I don't think that you can really doubt the enthusiasm of many people that go to church. I don't think you can doubt the enthusiasm of the charismatic people who think that they're really turned on spiritually and they are on fire for God. You, you, don't, you don't need to doubt their, their, their zeal in what they do. You don't doubt the zeal of the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses because they're out there doing every day what we will not do. They're out there trying to win converts to their cause. You don't doubt their zeal. And then you have some others that just simply don't know what they're talking about. And these are people who say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Just be sincere about it. But the Apostle Paul said otherwise. The Bible doesn't teach that sincerity will save you. It doesn't say that zeal will save you. Only the truth is going to save you. And so these, these leaders had all the desire, they had all the sincerity that they could muster, but they simply did not have the truth. Now I mentioned a few weeks ago how that evangelical Christianity has gone over to the side of sincerity rather than to the side of salvation. Billy Graham said that the grace of God is big enough and great enough to save anyone who is sincere even if they worship the wrong God. Now, I know there are many of you that revere Billy Graham. He's been called America's pastor. He's counseled presidents. He's preached to millions of people. But I want to read to you what Billy Graham said in an interview with Robert Schuller. This is an actual transcript of their conversation. Robert Schuller asked Billy Graham, he said, Tell me, what do you think is the future of Christianity? And Billy Graham replied, well, Christianity, and being a true believer, you know, I think there's the body of Christ. This comes from all Christian groups around the world, outside Christian groups. I think everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. I think James answered that, the Apostle James in the first council in Jerusalem, when he said that God's purpose for this age is to call out a people for his name. 
And that's what God is doing today. He's calling out of the world, uh, the world for his name, people for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. They are members of the body of Christ because they have been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something that they don't have, and they turn to the only light that they have, and I think they're saved, and they're going to be with us in heaven. And Schuler said, what? What what I hear you saying? That it's possible for Jesus Christ to come into human hearts and soul and life, even if they've been born in darkness and have never had exposure to the Bible? Is that a correct interpretation of what you're saying? And Graham said, yes, it is, because I believe that. And listen, I've met people in various parts of the world in tribal situations that they have never seen a Bible or heard about a Bible and have never heard of Jesus, but they believe in their hearts that there was a God and they tried to live a life that was quite apart from the surrounding community in which they lived. And Schuler says, I'm so thrilled to hear you say this. There's wideness in God's mercy. And Billy Graham said, there is. There definitely is. Now I want you to keep that in mind as we read verse number 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, that ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Now notice there the word woe. It's not really a a good word to translate from the Aramaic that Jesus spoke into our language. It's more of a sound than it is a word. It's like a guttural sound. And what it is is an expression of grief and sadness. Unless you think that Jesus, that the only thing that he was interested in as he talked to these false teachers was simply to trounce on them, you need to understand the expression that Jesus gives here, what was really in his heart, because this is an expression of grief. It's an expression of sadness because he had preached so long, and these people had heard so much, and they'd seen so many miracles, and they had so much opportunity, and yet they would not believe in him. He wants them to have the truth, and he wants them to turn to the truth, and he's sad that it's come to this. But his sadness and his sympathy would not stop him from speaking to them the truth. And so he said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And let's stop there for just a minute with that word. He calls them hypocrites. Now many of you have heard that this is a word that comes from the theater. It's a word that was used for actors. And when it's used in that context, it's not a bad word. It simply means that the actor is playing a part. Uh, Actors in those days would wear a mask when they were acting. And so this word hypocrite comes from, it actually means to speak from beneath the mask. And what it means is you're simply playing a part. And, And that's not bad for theater. That's okay. You expect that. But when you take that word out of that context, context and you bring it into everyday usage, it means somebody who is a phony. It means someone who pretends to be something that they're not. And that's very critical to this text. The scribes and the Pharisees were not what people thought that they were. For the most part, they were knowing pretenders. Although there were some like Paul who said, I did this ignorantly, I did it in unbelief. But keep that in mind. 
These men were not what the people thought they were. Now look at verse 13 again. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Well, here's your first point, and we're going to stay right here on this one today. There are eight woes that are in this passage, and the first one is this, the woe of shutting up salvation. Jesus said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven so that others cannot go in. Now there, the kingdom of heaven is just another way of saying salvation. Going into the kingdom of heaven, entering the kingdom of heaven, that means salvation. And what Jesus says to these men, you are shutting up the way of salvation. And you're keeping others from going in. Now, I want to tell you something. It's very difficult for me to stand here. It's very hard for me to stand in front of you and bring up Billy Graham and bring up Robert Schuller and say that they shut up the kingdom of heaven against people who want to go in. And you might think, well, who are you? Who are you? Billy Graham has millions of followers. Robert Schuller has plenty of people listening to him. Who are you to stand up against them? And you may be wondering about that. And I know that there's some of you that watched Billy Graham over the years and you've seen millions of people that have walked the aisles and come to faith in Jesus Christ and received him. There might even be somebody here in this congregation today that you got saved by listening to a message from Billy Graham. And to you, I would take you back to verse number 3 in this passage where Jesus said, All therefore whatsoever they bid you do, observe, that observe and do. Now, it's a very simple statement, really, that when they speak the Scriptures, and they speak truth from the Scriptures, believe it. When they preach the gospel of Christ, and they preach the gospel in truth, believe it. If it's correct, then believe it. And you know that there were some people that were saved in Phariseeism. There was a lot of junk in that system, but there were some people that God enabled them to cut through all of the junk, and they actually saw the truth that was there, and they believed in God in the way that they should. They trusted Christ. But there weren't huge numbers of them that did it. Let me say this about Billy Graham, and I don't relish saying any of this, but what I'm simply doing here is making a point that you need to pay attention to everything that's said. Pay attention to it all and find the truth where the truth is taught and then find the falsehoods where the falsehoods are being taught. Now, in 70 years of preaching from Billy Graham, there have been huge numbers that have gone forward. But do you know what you don't find? You don't find millions of new Christians. You don't find millions of new Christians. You know why? Because all along in those crusades... There were many people that were pointed to churches that taught salvation in some other way than by faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Graham had no trouble pointing people towards the Roman Catholic Church if that's where people were prone to go, where they came from, where their families were and so forth. And those people simply do not teach the truth of the gospel of Christ. And so there were millions of people who walked the aisles, but there are millions of people who are not saved. Now, when Billy Graham says that 
people who do not know the God of the Bible and have never heard of Jesus Christ are saved if they sincerely seek something that they don't have and they believe in some other God who is not the God of the Bible, then he is shutting up salvation against those who need the truth of the gospel. And he has just put a clamp on Jesus' mouth who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no one who comes to the Father but by me. He has just shut up Jesus in John 3.16 when he said, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he's just shut up John and says that, well, John didn't really need to write the gospel of John because John gave us his express purpose for writing his gospel in the 20th chapter. And there he said, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so neither Jesus nor John said what Billy Graham said. Jesus and John said, you must believe in Christ. He said that you cannot believe in something that you don't know about. You can't believe in something else and then everything will be fine. There is no wideness in God's mercy that allows unbelieving people into the body of Christ and thus into the kingdom of God. And so when you teach such things as that, you shut up the way of salvation to them. The door of salvation is slammed in their faces because now they think that they don't need Christ. Now if it doesn't matter about Christ, then why would we ever send a missionary? At Christmas time, we sent thousands of dollars to a church in the Philippines that lost their church in the tsunami so they could rebuild. And why did we do that? so they could preach the gospel of Christ. Oh, we didn't need to do that if they don't actually have to hear it. If there's something else that they can believe and be sincere about it, why do we need to send money to them? If we don't need to know about Christ, I have to ask Billy Graham, what are you doing holding a crusade? What what are you telling people? Why do you hold a crusade if they don't need to know this? Why do we print Bibles? Why do we pass out gospel tracts to people if they don't really need to hear this? That they must believe in Jesus Christ. And so if Billy is right, put your Bible away. Stop giving to missionaries because we don't need them. And listen to me. If sincerity and believing in Allah and believing in Buddha or believing in any number of Hindu gods, if sincerity is what it takes, and that's all, then go find a popsicle stick to believe in. You can do that because Buddha and Allah and any rest of them are no more gods than a fence post in the backyard. According to Billy Graham, anyone who sincerely knows that something he needs something that he doesn't have and he puts his faith in, in popsicles, then he's okay because God has called him from the unbelieving world of popsicleites to be in the kingdom of God, to be his people. Well, this is what the text means. You've locked the door of salvation because you've told people to be sincere and no matter what, everything's going to be okay. Now, for these people that the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching, they just simply said, well, the law is going to make you okay. You just do what we're telling you to do. Just put all these things into practice and you're going to be okay. 
And when they told people that, they shut up the way of salvation. They slammed the door in their faces. These are people who have an interest. These are people who, it appears that they want to go to heaven. They're following something religious. They believe in an afterlife. They want to go see God. They want to come to the Father. But what was being taught by the Pharisees excluded them from the kingdom of God because they could not come in without believing the truth. Sincerity would not help them. They must know the truth. Now, folks, let me tell you, it is hard for me to pick on Billy Graham. And can you imagine that this was not also hard for Jesus too? It was hard for him to get up into the faces of their revered rabbis, of these Pharisees who had the esteem of the people that had taught them for so long that they had utmost confidence in. It was hard for him to get up into the faces of those men and say, you are wrong and you're teaching lies. And it was hard for him to come up against the high priest of Israel, the most respected religious leader in all the land, and come against the high priest and say to him, you are teaching a lie. You are shutting up heaven to people. People are going to hell because of what you've been teaching. Folks, I can tell you there is no more serious accusation than this. And yet today we're afraid to say anything. We're afraid to call out somebody that has the confidence of the people. It's hard to say you're, you're, you're lying, you're shutting up the kingdom of heaven. And so it can be hard for me to mention Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and Joyce Meyer and T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen. They have millions of followers. It's hard to say that you're shutting up salvation to people who are searching, people who are interested. You have slammed the door of the gospel. It's hard. But I'll tell you this, I don't have any remorse for saying it. I'm not going to win friends. But this is what Jesus did. His language was very harsh because the consequences were so high. Now you just think about this. We're talking about the souls of men and women. We're, We're talking about people that if they don't hear the truth, they're going to die and go to hell. And so when anyone steps into a pulpit and says, I'm teaching the word of God, he better think very seriously about the consequences of what he's doing. James said, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater damnation. Now, no wonder that Jesus was so blunt. No wonder he got right to the point. The people were, were led, being led to hell by other people who were going there. This is the blind leading the blind, and neither of them is going to enter. And so do you know what the best thing to do with a false teacher is telling people things like this? Stop him. Tell him the truth. Tell him what he needs to know. Stop him and offer him the mercy of God's grace by giving him truth. So... This wasn't unkind of Jesus, and it's not unkind of me to tell you these things. Now, it might rattle you a bit, and it might set you back just a little bit, but no one is unkinder who says, let it go. Leave him alone. Don't criticize him. Let him go his way. Tolerate him. Just let him go. And if I do that, then I am the one that's shutting the door of heaven to people who need to go in. Now, do you see this? 
people have been taught so long that all roads lead to heaven that they don't want anybody throwing up a roadblock to their thinking on that road. They don't want anybody to put speed bumps that will slow them down just a little bit on the broad road to destruction. And they'll come to you and they'll say, well, we know what Jesus said, but they don't know what Jesus said. And they say, we preach like Jesus, but they don't preach like Jesus. They have a different Jesus. But here he is. He's the one that does not let people speak from beneath the mask. He does not tolerate those who send souls to hell. Now, if that's not plain enough for you, then let me see if I can get plainer for you. The thing that troubles you needs to be gotten rid of. You know, if the doctor comes to you and, or you've been to see him and he says, well, your tumor is benign. Well, you don't worry so much then. That's, that's pretty good news. Maybe you've got a tumor, but the tumor is benign. You don't worry so much. Well, this tumor that we're talking about is not benign. This thing that troubles you will kill you if you don't cut it out. And so the false teacher must be stopped. He must be cut out. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to verse 15, but the consequences of all this that we're speaking of is hell. That's the real problem here. It's hell, and that's what we've got to avoid. Now, you know, uh, there's a very peculiar thing that happens. Uh, you know, you pastor the church, you hear from a lot of different people, a lot of people in town that want you to join up with their causes, and they want you to be a spokesman for them, and all the Christians come together and do this or do that. And so sometimes I'll receive an email, and the email will say, well, there's a rally against abortion at the Catholic Church, and we want you to come down here and give your support so we can stand against abortion. And you know, I hate abortion. Abortion is murder. And someone would say when the casino was built, this happened too. They said, we need to rally and stop the casino. And I hate the casino. They prey on poor people. And they prey on not-so-poor, very stupid people also who go there. So people get all stirred up and they get indignant over these social issues. And I'm not trying to say those things aren't important. I mean, there's one church in town that practically devoted their whole ministry to shutting down the casino. But we have to ask, where is the indignation over all of these false churches that are preaching a false doctrine that sends people to hell. Where's our indignation over those who promote uh, something totally false, what Jesus didn't say, who ignore the gospel of Jesus Christ to cover some social issue? Where's our indignation with people who will not tell people the truth about how to be saved? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going down to the Catholic Church to pray with the priest. I mean, his prayers don't go anywhere anyway, so I don't need to go down and pray with him. And I'm not going to do that because I don't want anybody to think that I support all the other junk that they do. I don't want to be a part of that, so I'm not going to go down to the Catholic Church to fight against abortion. I hate it, but I'm not going there to do anything about it. Now, do you get the picture here? What I'm saying to you sounds harsh, but all that I've done is to take these words of Jesus and bring it into our modern context. False teaching is not dead. It didn't die after Jesus spoke to these people. It didn't stop, and they didn't stop. You know what happened? They killed him over such strong words. And that just shows you what impact that what he said had. Now, 
you, you can't think for a minute that this is any less harsh than it really sounds. It was tough for him, and they didn't like it. So, so I don't expect that I'm going to receive a better reception than he did. If I preach against a false teacher, I'm not going to receive a better reception. But if they don't say what Jesus said, then that's what I have to do. Some time ago, I was preaching through 1 John, and uh, I was kind of looking at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John there for a little while, and uh, I brought up how, that, how serious that John was against those who taught lies. In his second letter, he said, "...whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son." If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And you know, there are people who think that when a Mormon or a JW comes to your door, that you ought to invite them in and give them milk and cookies. Now, I understand charity and all of that. And I do understand that it might be your desire that you would bring them into your house and that you would tell them the truth and they would hear the truth and they would be saved. I understand that kind of reasoning. But I'd like to ask you, how many, of you have, how many of them have you won to the Lord? How many of them have come into your house and you've talked with them and they said, you know, I think you're right. Uh, I think that I, that's what I need to do. I need to change. I need to believe. How many? I would say, none. I would say none. So John had a very different tactic. John said, don't let them in the house. Don't tell them, have a nice day. Don't say, be on your way and God be with you, peace to you. He didn't say that. He had a different tactic. And I think what John meant was to discourage them in every way that you can. You know, I've had JWs come to my door and right there while they're standing there, I've taken the literature out of their hand and tore it up in front of them. And I've had one JW that stood there and begged me not to do that. And I said, that's just one more person that will never receive this trash in their home. And so what I did was in a parable... I showed him how Jesus would deal with false teachers. But anyway, I was teaching this passage in 2 John, and uh, I said, and some of you remember this, I said, well, what you really ought to do is, is walking away from your house and down the sidewalk, turn the sprinklers on. <laughs> and that really didn't go over so well. But, but the point here is, don't give them any encouragement. They're false teachers. And so you just don't let this thing go. People say... Well, just let it go. And we, we've been blessed, I think it is, we think we are at least blessed with this some kind of unbiblical tolerance that says, that's okay. Just be nice and let it go. You can't let it go. These are people who are sending others to hell. You don't stand idly by and say, that's okay. You have to preach against this. So we understand why Jesus would treat it this way. When he overturned those tables in the temple, he was angry. He had righteous indignation over this. These people are teaching lies. And as I said, in that symbolic gesture, he showed that there was going to be a total upheaval of their religious system. He was going to shut it all down. And it's all throughout these last chapters in the book of Matthew. Jesus did not let it go. And so we need a little bit more of Jesus' attitude than we do this attitude that says everybody's going to heaven no matter what they believe. And so this is what Jesus expects of a pastor. Jesus was a good shepherd. He was the great shepherd. He was the good pastor. And what he would not do was ignore all of this because he thought it might make him unpopular.
That was no concern at all. But rather, he loved people enough to call them to repentance. And that's what God wants me to do. My tact in dealing with a false teacher should not be any different than what Jesus did. Follow his model. Well, we have seven more woes to go here. This is the woe of shutting up salvation. And I I just never want to be guilty of that. Now, before we go today, there may be someone here you're visiting this morning. You've never been to Berean, and you look at me and you think, that guy up there is just totally crazy. Just totally crazy. Well, you know, I, I don't take every Sunday to climb on people. Most. No, no, I don't take every Sunday to climb on people. But folks, I don't apologize when this is necessary. We have to follow the scriptures. So what we do here is every Sunday, verse by verse, we go through the scriptures. And what we don't do, we don't skip over the unpopular parts. If the Bible says that you need to know this, then I want to tell you about it. So today, what I want you to take away from this message this morning is that there is only one way to eternal life. That one way is Jesus Christ. There aren't many paths to heaven. There's only one path to heaven. And we keep saying that over and over and over again because this text demands that we do that. It mandates it. So you can be very serious about what you believe, but that's only going to count for you if you're, is, is that you're very serious that you know the truth. If you're very serious that you know the truth, then praise the Lord You know Jesus Christ if you're very serious about truth. But if you're serious about anything else and you believe something that's not what I've told you this morning, you believe there's some other way to get to God, just be sincere and believe in anything you want to believe in, your soul is in very, very dark danger. And so if your favorite preacher glosses over error and he says it really doesn't matter what you believe, get a new preacher. Trust Jesus and trust him alone. And if you do, I know that the door to the kingdom of heaven will be open when you get there. I can promise you that. Now, I can't promise that for any other religious system. Here's the thing. I don't have to worry about memorizing a hundred different ways for people to go to heaven. Someone comes to me and say, like like, uh, the man did to Jesus, and what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I go into my library and said, well, I pull out one of books here, and this one has about five different ways in here, and I'll give you this one over here. This one has about seven different ways, and this one over here has a list of other ways, and you pick the one that you want, and you decide which way you want to go to heaven. There's all kinds of ways to get there. I don't have to worry about memorizing this because there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ, trusting in him. And I'm going to tell you something. It's the Jesus Christ that we're talking about right here in this text. The Jesus Christ who did this. The one who did this. The one who stood up against false teaching and said, Don't believe it. Come my way. Or don't come at all. That's the Jesus that we preach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together today. I simply, as you know, Lord, we do not relish have to, having to bring out uh, errors, mention names, but how are people going to know what to do and what to avoid if we don't say these very things? Somebody needs to know the truth. And Lord, perhaps you've opened the eyes of someone today. Maybe someone sees truth in this, and we hope that they do, and they would understand very clearly that Jesus is the only way that we can get to heaven. And then also, Lord, I pray for Christians that are here today, that we, we would not mix and mingle 
with all of these other people who aren't teaching the truth. We want to be among a fellowship of believers who who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and never clouding the way of salvation and God forbid that they would shut it up by saying something that's just totally wrong. Help us today, Lord. Uh, Open up our hearts to your truth and may we be respectful of that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.